Welcome to the Mobile Arcade Club, a podcast about playing and discussing cool mobile games together, especially those featured on Apple Arcade. This episode, we talk a little about the state of Game Center, and then our club games for this episode, Big Time Sports, Bleak Sword, and Tangle Tower. Welcome to another episode of the Mobile Arcade Club. Thank you once again for joining us. On this episode, we're looking at Big Time Sports, Bleak Sword and Tangle Tower, three very different and very fascinating games for different reasons. And as per usual, I'm joined by my good friend Stephen. Say hello. Hello there. Howdy. And uh, this time, uh, to start things off, we'd like to talk about something that's been bothering us a little bit about the gaming experience across iOS. And I think uh, I'm not quite sure how Mac OS uh, goes. You'll be able to probably inform me a little bit better on this, perhaps, Stephen. But Game Center, we're, we're just finding sort of the the platform for connecting players to be a bit lacking. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. So like Game Center, I guess, for anyone who doesn't know, because it doesn't really get surfaced very much when you're actually using games on iOS. It's essentially sort of an Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, a track of friends, track of achievements, leaderboards, that sort of deal. But it, to me, it feels like it's gone backwards. It came out years and years ago, and that sort of had its own app. You have your friends list in there and stuff, but now it really, I don't know, it's hidden in settings. You'd sort of not know where it is if you don't know where to look, and games kind of you'll get a little notification pop up for achievements and stuff, but it feels like there's not much there or feels like it's almost gone backwards compared to what it was previously. And now that games are a, you know, apparently a bit of a more important segment of Apple's priorities at the moment, it's weird that this is so bare bones. Yeah, and I think we we also encountered some difficulties in trying to add each other as friends. I think a few weeks ago you sent me a message through Game Center natively to to me, which sent an automated automated link, which was along the lines of, "Oh, please accept my friend request." Hmm. I'm like, "Yes, certainly," and I went to go do it, and for whatever reason, it didn't work. And I I suspect it may have been that I hadn't done the the latest incremental iOS update. Sounds about right. Which is off is often the case with a lot of the things that is uh, a an iPhone operating system sort of thing is that you must be on the latest one for you know various security reasons and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and the fact that it seems that it can only be done through sort of your, your contacts list yeah. as, as opposed to sort of uh, doing it via, you know, someone's username or mm. if you played with someone online or a multiplayer in, you know, close proximity just by adding them from, you know, most recently played against or that sort of thing. Yeah, although I did, when I was digging in the settings, there is a recently played list, although... I haven't played that many multiplayer games, so it was full of people from seven years ago when it first came out, so it wasn't terribly useful. But yeah, as you say, I found it unusual you couldn't just send a link through any other messaging means because, I don't know, I might not have your phone number necessarily, but I might want to add you or I might want to share my link on social media for people to add me and instead of messaging people individually. And yeah, it just seems like that would be such an easy thing to implement. Apple already have a share sheet, but... When you yeah tap share, it just brings up an iMessage screen, and that's it. It's bizarre that that's the only option they give. Yeah, and I think again with perhaps sharing your uh, your 
Game Center ID and, and because it's so closely linked with your Apple ID, then perhaps that's Apple's way of increasing security and reducing risk in terms of, you know, you don't want to put something directly on social media that could be directly tied to your Apple ID account. Perhaps I'm just thinking of the, mm. the line of thinking that they go along because, you know, it's well known that Apple do promote a much more secure and closed system than yes. other devices or other companies and that sort of thing. So perhaps that's why, but it, it does sort of, especially with Apple Arcade, you know, promoting the platform as a gaming platform, mm. it, it would be nice if it were just a little bit more compatible and a little bit more... Uh, seamless across devices and across other users yeah i think in comparison to most other services they really encourage you to say you know i'll look at my friends list and see what trophies they have and Mm. stuff like that whereas i struggle to find a ways like oh is chris playing the same games how far has he got and so i can think of you know am i way way behind on the games are going to be talking about this week and stuff Mm. like that but it's really hard to find that information if you can at all and a lot of it seems to be hooked into whether the game itself has a game center button which they don't necessarily all have or if they do it might be hidden somewhere it's yeah it's very yeah it just feels like a very minimal minimum viable product i guess for something that used to be better that needs a bit more attention and love now that gaming is a more important thing to apple yeah, because it's not even really a standalone app anymore. It's quite no. quite well buried within the iOS settings section. I think you have to yes. perform a few scrolls to even get to it, and and even then, it's pretty bare bones. So mm. I think that's that's a definite area where Apple can improve to sort of make the the gaming platform ethos that they want to go for more viable and more more seamless and more connected across uh, multiplayer games, which, for example, the first game that we'll be talking about today is uh, quite heavily focused on multiplayer. Mm. It's a game called Big Time Sports, and it's from the same folks who uh, did The Pinball Wizard, which we covered Mm. and rather enjoyed on last episode. Uh, Big Time Sports... We have vastly different feelings about this one, don't we, Stephen? Yeah, it's bizarre. I went from, you know, everyone knows who's listened that I could not get enough of Pinball Wizard. That game, I just wanted to keep playing it. It's extremely, extremely good. And Big Time Sports did not hook me in the same way. It's sort of, ostensibly, I guess it describes it as a whole bunch of sports-adjacent minigames, I guess, Mm. in, in the style of old, like, track and field or you know, old sort of video game adaptions of Olympic sports and stuff like that, where, you know, to run, you tap the screen or to, you know, weight lift, you're balancing, uh, balancing weight across different sides of your character. And a lot of just simple systems that kind of emulate sports ostensibly. And I, I quite liked the way that they were good at um, expressing the way you would control different sports. You've got a touch screen and that's about it. And they found ways to actually express how this would be controlled or you know let you control something in a way that makes sense if if i'm making sense Mm. Uh, i was yeah quite surprised at the different uh wide variety of ways that they could make use of a touchscreen to control different sports yeah although i think a lot of them hinged on very similar sort of concepts or trappings in terms of there were a number and the one that sticks in my head the most was the the slam dunk competition oh, uh, yeah. where it required a lot of rapid tests uh, 
testing, pressing, <laughs> rapid pressing. It, it was testing my patience at one point, but yeah. <laughs> the rapid pressing of the the touch screen to you know build up a meter in order to you know be able to perform bigger and better dunks and you know mm. move on to the next stage, almost in sort of like a a high jump structured competition where you'd clear one height and then move up to the next so you have to incrementally do better and better mm. um but i i just found and i'm i'm someone who has no at least no known physical barriers uh, mm. that uh, that i'm aware of you'll get older it'll happen <laughs> yeah it'll it, it'll happen eventually i'm just hoping it's later rather than sooner mm. but with with the slam dunk uh, game and some of the other ones which required you know some pretty quick presses of the button, I found my hands getting pretty tired pretty quickly, and it wasn't a very enjoyable way to to play sort of a game. Um, you know, perhaps if it was something in more short bursts, but the mm. the way that it was structured to you know keep you know pushing you further and further and you're trying to press the screen as as fast as you can it yeah it really wore out its welcome really really quickly and you know with some of the other games focusing on similar gameplay elements Mm. i i didn't find it all that engaging for not even that long a period of time yeah gosh that slam dunk one was just kind of hand cramp city it Mm. it really I found my in the end I kind of lost on purpose because I didn't want to keep going as yeah. as bad as that sounds. Like I I went through and played every every one of the sports start to finish just so I could see everything the game had to offer. And yeah, there were a couple of games where I just wasn't enjoying them enough, so I just thought, you know what, I'm going to lose this and hopefully the next one's a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah, like the one the one I enjoyed the most was the the soccer one which was a, a rather rather simple process of there was a hole in the wall that would move vertically up and down um, on sort of a, a fixed a fixed speed hmm. and your little character or big character because all these characters are very very much larger than life <laughs> big and time very, very yeah very much big time uh, very cutely designed at that and you would uh, pull back sort of like uh, angry birds or you know drawing back on a bowstring and then release to to kick this ball and depending on what angle you you pulled back on the ball at uh, that would affect the trajectory of the ball so you had to try and kick as many of the balls into this hole in the wall as, as you know, within a, I think it was a 30 or 60 second increment. A I, period of time. A period of time, <laughs> yes. And I, I found that one, you know, good fun in you know, yeah. a rather short burst sort of thing. But again, even though it was a rather simple concept and it's it's dressed up very nicely, and that, that's one thing I will stress about big time sports is that it's very very good looking it and is stylish as anything yeah, yeah. it's it's got a very very particular style and does a very good job of it um just a lot of these really nice looking uh, you know simple and clean uh graphics but uh they you know instill sort of the ethos of the game that you know big time everything's mm. bigger than la- larger than life and although you know that that was something to to draw you in Gameplay was a bit lacking, mm. and playing the soccer one made me think, I feel like I've played something like this, but a little bit better previously. And then I was going back, uh, and we were talking about this off-air, is that back when the iPod Touch was 
starting to become a big thing in the mid-late 2000s when iPod Touch gaming was a thing. I remember uh, a game, uh, Paper Toss, I think it was called, where you'd you know, toss this little scrunched-up ball of paper into a uh, an office wastebasket mm. and there'd be different aspects like an office fan would be blowing you know wind in a particular direction so you'd have to allow different variables and elements to get this little scrumpled ball of paper into the into the bin and it was endlessly addictive and a lot of fun and it, it did something a lot more tangible than what the soccer game or any of the games here in big time sports did mm, i think paper toss had the advantage of being doing one thing well whereas this does i think it was a total of 16 sports from memory all done like it, it's more sort of start a style over substance i guess there's yep. a lot of very pretty looking very shallow small games i guess which are some enjoyable in the first play some mm. not but i feel like they would outstay their welcome real quickly because i don't have no, no, no one of them has the depth that, say, a paper toss does because you're not spending much time in a single one and, you know, changing the variables, as you say, opening a window, turning on a fan, having... I can't remember what else was in paper toss. That's so long ago and it just opened up some nostalgia receptors in my head when you brought it up. Mm. But, um, yeah, none of them have the room to to expand as much as it would be nice for them to be able to do to, to keep attention, I guess. Um, one thing I did not try is the multiplayer, and I, I don't know if that would actually give it more, you know, let it have more of a welcome, I guess, or if it would get just the same, uh, get boring in the same time for two people instead of one. But that may may be a different thing. But I admittedly didn't give that a try. Yeah, and I think perhaps uh, Big Time Sports was very much designed with the the regular mobile phone user in mind in terms mm. of if someone's going to play a game on mobile, you know, someone who doesn't necessarily consider themselves a capital G gamer, mm-hmm. uh, that they would only, you know, play something for a few minutes and put it back down, like waiting at a bus stop or, you know, on the commute, uh, you know, in between, you know, stops, you know, from, from home to work and that sort of thing. Mm. So perhaps that's sort of more of the niche that big time sports is trying to fill and, uh, to a similar extent, the the sort of simplicity of the games, perhaps it is quite well geared uh, to a younger audience. Mm. You know, look at these big, goofy, uh, you know, athletes, you know, doing, you know, moving in silly ways and that sort of thing. And, yeah, definitely. You, know, you don't have to memorize complex control schemes to be able to play it. So I think that's perhaps one aspect where big time sports may do well in hmm. but i i found for what i was looking for in some fun mini games to play i i didn't get what i was looking for here yeah same not not for me i, I can see there could be people who could enjoy it but it's, it's just not my thing i guess yeah and it's interesting that we speak about sort of its use of different touch inputs because the next game we're about to discuss did things very well and very you know it, it's its use of touch controls is one of the best that I've seen in in mobile games and this this game is Bleak Sword and it's it's a rather rather clever one Stephen yeah. I'll, I'll leave leave you to describe the the sort of core concept yeah i guess it sort of describes itself as a dark fantasy diorama which i think is quite apt after playing it sort mm. of you'll have your character who is the entire area is set up in a sort of old black and white 8-bit computer sort of style it's sort of a 3D diorama but each element of it is 
sort of a flat 2D character, for want of a better way of describing it. And yeah, you'll have your character who has a sword and a shield, and you'll as you go through levels, you can upgrade your attack and things like that. Mm. But you'll be uh, attacked by an onslaught of various different enemies that change as you progress through the game. And yeah, as you were saying, the controls are really quite genius. The amount mm. of different... Uh, control mechanisms they put into touch the screen and then do something else is i found quite incredible so you've Mm. got a a quick tap will do a block or parry of an attack or you can tap and swipe to like to roll out of the way of an attack uh if you tap and hold uh yeah tap and hold it'll charge an attack then you swipe in the direction you want to actually attack it will hit the thing in that direction it was yeah i was just amazed at how much they could pack into this quite simple uh, interaction mechanism and how deep that kind of gameplay could end up getting with such a simple control scheme. Yeah, and it was really responsive as well. Because Absolutely. It's, it's a sort of game that very much lives and dies on the, the quality of its controls and responsiveness, and you don't want any input lag whatsoever. No. But here, Bleak Sword was a, a masterclass in touch controls. Mm. As, as you've described, the various taps and swipes all are very clearly used for different manoeuvres and they all feel really natural. They all feel really well integrated into this game. Mm. And I think it's designed that you can play this comfortably in in one hand, just just with your thumb. And you you, you can absolutely do that. And that's not to suggest that it's an overly simplistic game because this this game will challenge you Mm -hmm. in a fair way. It's, It's the satisfyingly fair challenge that a lot of people dare i say for a reductive comparison uh, <laughs> i can that, see what's coming here <laughs> yeah I, I wonder where we're going here a, a series that you're quite fond of um Stephen, in the uh, the souls sort of the souls born sekiro series yeah um so yeah bleak sword does does quite a quite a good job of that and it's it's sort of it's sort of it's a game that's very much focused on its its feel how how good it feels to play how good the combat feels to control mm. so it's one that's very very difficult to describe uh, on a podcast let, let alone even if we were to do a video showcase in the game you'd literally have to just download this game and go hands on to realize oh yeah this there's something physically tangible about this game that feels good to play yeah everything just reacts to your taps and swipes exactly as it feels like it should it you know you tap to block and it feels like you're you know tapping as a thing hits and you're tapping the attack away you know then swiping back in the direction that you do to to retaliate it's just yeah as i say extremely difficult to describe how it feels but i was quite surprised at how you know considering how much is on one control mechanism i very rarely was tripping over myself like in some Hmm. games you know on a typical controller i can be i don't know just get all flustered and i'll be attacking instead of blocking it'll go all over the place and that's when they're all mapped to different buttons but here you know a tap is different to a tap and hold which is different to a tap and swipe and somehow they didn't i wasn't tripping over my own fingers each time it was yeah i couldn't get over how nicely that felt yeah yeah and i think i i made it two or three worlds in because Mm -hmm. it's it's similar to what you'd see in some of the the old school super mario games in terms Mm -hmm. of uh, it breaks up the game into to levels, into yes. sort of an overworld map where you'd move from world one, level one, to world one, level two. And then I think there's oh, somewhere between eight to ten levels per world. And mm. there's a you know big boss at the end, which is 
quite the challenge. Yes. And yeah. uh, very much in the vein of the Souls games, as mentioned earlier, or has been popularized by those games at yes, least. Yes, yeah. Um, that, you know, if you die in a particular level or to a boss or something, then you will lose your experience points gained up to that point, mm. and you can only reclaim that by going back and beating the level uh, the next time around. Yeah. Uh, and th- there are other elements that sort of augment the experience as well in terms of you pick up equipable items which may increase your defense or your health or may give you a little bit of a, a boost to your damage. Mm. And there's also some little uh, RPG modifiers as well which will uh, permanently upgrade your, your defense or your, your attack and that sort of thing as well. So, yeah, there's there's a little bit uh, a little bit more to the eye uh, going on in, in Bleak Sword than... And, you know what, what one might assume from its you know seemingly simple presentation, even though the the diorama sort of presentation is quite uh, quite novel. It really but- lends itself to the smaller scale of a mobile game. I guess you can get a little bit done. You don't have to play this for an hour at a time to make any progress. And this is coming from me, who's you know spent the last two days straight trying to beat a boss in Sekiro and made zero progress. Mm. It's nice that you have these small discrete pieces that you do you get to the next part you do something you get to the next part it's yeah it gives you that little sense of progress even if you lose it all by dying at a certain point and you know that you're yeah you're, you're getting a little little by little a bit better each time you play it and i think that's the key to this game being successful definitely and the fact that there is a skill ceiling that exists in terms mm. of there is room to grow and improve and learn from your mistakes and as you go and play to improve your skills which is is down to how well designed the game is, which is very satisfying to play. Mm, and it's down to how well you play it. It's also to your choices that you make because you'll have two equipment slots. It mm. reminded me a little bit of Halo in that you need to prioritize what you want to do at any one time because you can't just equip everything. Yeah. You just have to choose what's most important for now and, yeah, run along with that. Mm. So that's that's Bleak Sword. Uh, we we both rather enjoyed that, so definitely recommend that, especially if you're looking for you know a little bit of a, a combat game with a bit of challenge. So mm. we definitely recommend Bleak Sword. So now for the final game for this episode of the Mobile Arcade Club is Tangle Tower, made by the same folks who previously made Snipper Clips, one of the the launch indie titles on the Nintendo Switch, mm. uh, and they've also got. Uh, a bit of a bit of a history that uh, you're familiar with, uh, Stephen. Yes, gosh, I remember them all the way back from like S- their SFB games, who I used to know as the Super Flash Bros, who would do ridiculous old sort of Flash movies back when that was a thing that people did in you know, mm. Newgrounds days. And um, as you f- you pointed out to me earlier today, that they've done what appears to be a prequel to this game in Detective Grimoire. Yeah, but- yeah. So Tangle Tower, I'm not sure it's considered a direct sequel as such, or more of a spiritual success. But mm. I think in 2014 they released a game on PC called Detective Grimoire, which mm. is about the um, the well the, the character Detective Grimoire. Grimoire. Yes. Uh, this uh, <laughs> this unassuming uh, fellow who is you know, all about solving mysteries and murders and, and that sort of thing. As a good detective should be. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd, you'd like to think that they'd solve them. <laughs> um, but in, in this case, that um, Detective Grimoire, the 2014 game, was sort of this um, 3D art style. I'm not quite sure how to describe it. Like 3D cell shaded almost. Like it was definitely had a 
an aesthetic beyond just, you know, realistic 3D, let's say. Yeah, yeah, sort of a, a little bit low poly, perhaps, yeah. in terms of not not going for realism, but going for a particular style, as you say, Stephen. Hmm. But Tangle Tower uh, goes for this really sleek 2D art style that's hmm. uh, very much, it's, it's almost a, a bit of a comic book or graphic novel style that they've gone for here. But Tangle Tower essentially... Uh, has been described previously as a cross between the Phoenix Wright games on the various Nintendo platforms, which is a... a... And also on iOS. Yes, yes. I do forget that it uh, was um, came to iOS quite a while ago. But yeah, the Phoenix Wright games where it's essentially, you know, courtroom simulator on steroids with yeah. a lot of goofiness and wackiness to go with it, uh, combined with the Professor Layton games, which are very much... Uh, sort of micro-puzzle sort of uh, games en route to sort of solving a a larger mystery unfolding. So Mm. when when I heard that description, that's what pushed me over the line to say, hey, let's let's cover Tangle Tower because that sounds awesome. Yeah, and after just a tiny amount of playing it, that is such an apt comparison because I I felt I haven't played Professor Layton, but... I know what it entails and yeah, gosh, the puzzles in this feel very much like what I would expect Professor Layton to. And um, yeah, the whole, you know, you're investigating a crime, you're walking around different areas of the crime scene, just uh, talking with people, bringing up different pieces of evidence and seeing their reaction to different parts of what you've previously investigated or, you know, going to investigate new areas, finding new clues and going back to people going, hey, this counteracts what you told me, what's going on here? That kind of, yeah, that that sort of logical investigation stuff, it's what really hooked me into Danganronpa as well. Mm. And yeah, it's that was the part that I most enjoyed about about this game, along with, gosh, as you were saying, the character, the art style was amazing. Mm. And the characters, I I love how how well these characters are fleshed out. They yes. all have, you know, a, a personality that feels more than just a cardboard cutout that you might expect. It's a this is I hope this doesn't sound bad because I don't intend it to, but it feels like a game with a a larger aspiration than what you would expect out of a mobile game, I guess. I don't usually expect to have this much narrative depth in something that is usually a mobile game because te- typically mobile games are short uh, made for a shorter play session, made for a you know, a less dedicated, you know, someone that's not going to be playing it for hours a day. And this really surprised me. It's sort of the fact that it is on switch it wouldn't be out of um it wouldn't be out of character to be on there at all it's this is a full straight up you know super high quality high budget maybe seems high budget game Mm, and i think i think that's essentially what apple arcade is all about is bringing Mm. a lot of these fully realized game uh sort of designs to mobile platforms Mm. and tangle tower is a is a great example of that because it is on other platforms. It's on PC, it's on Switch, and I'm not sure what other platforms it's on off the top of my head. But And my partner, while she was watching me play Tangle Tower on Apple TV and on my phone and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. she said, oh man, I want to play that. And then she found out that it was on Switch and she went and bought it without hesitation and played it on Switch. Um, and so I, I can sort of make a bit of a comparison between the Switch and iOS versions. Mm-hmm. And I would say um, Tangle Tower, whatever platform you've got, Tangle Tower is absolutely worth getting it on. But on iOS, I think that is where it really shines because the the touch controls and the touch inputs for a lot of the, the puzzles are just... 
a lot easier to navigate and yeah, sort, sort of, of to directly manipulate. Exactly, yeah. You're directly manipulating objects in the world and doing that through touch just feels... You have less layers between your finger touching the thing and moving it versus like your finger touching a controller to move a stick, to move a pointer, to move a thing. is just... It's a lot more tangible, I guess. Mm. And going back to what you're saying about the, the characters and how well they are realised in, in Tangled Tower, I, I really enjoyed the, the two protagonists in Detective Grimoire, who this time is joined by Sally, who I believe, and perhaps a minor spoiler if you haven't played Detective Grimoire, which mm. I haven't played, but apparently Sally was one of the suspects in oh. Detective Grimoire, but she's, okay. uh, she's um, Detective Grimoire's... Uh, sort of assistant in this game and they sort of you know play sort of those uh, a lot of things for comedic effect you know mm. pitting opposites uh, against each other sort of grimoires uh, a little bit a uh, little bit not naive but he, he's just sort of uh, a bit uh, off with the fairies at times yeah i and, found i found their relationship very andy and april on parks and rec if that means anything to anyone that's I just saw them immediately in their their character interactions, the way that they play off each other. Mm. In the you know they they're not the same kind of person, and they sort of yeah play off each other well and bring different personality aspects to the you know them as a couple of characters. Yeah. I guess yeah, and and everyone's voice acted, and <sighs> the the performances mm. are brilliant. Yes, yeah, brilliant. I'd, I did play a little bit of it, sort of, I started to play it without sound because, you know, I was just in a place where sound wasn't really appropriate at certain points. And I just decided I'm not going to play it in those situations because you miss out on such, yeah, the voice acting is absolutely incredible. I I felt like I was losing out on something if I wasn't hearing that. As is the uh, original soundtrack. There were, mm. there were, there were some um, motifs that conjured some of the the same sense of wonder and whimsy that a lot of people attribute to uh was it john williams who did some of the early harry potter films uh, or, did he do, or am i thinking maybe of else? i know john williams isn't that the star wars guy i know i know he does star he do... wars but for some reason i thought he might have done one of the early harry potter films but that's all maybe. right let's let's roll with that's it all right um, and if we're wrong <laughs> potterheads uh, worldwide listening to this are tearing their hair out uh, Look, i'm the biggest muggle there is so like yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm neither here nor there but uh, <laughs> there, there's a piece of music that is commonly sort of associated with the harry potter films and there was a motif in the tangle tower soundtrack which sounded a little bit similar and i thought you know th- this you know this isn't far off you know sort of being like a film soundtrack uh it, it you know felt so expansive and expressive in its in its themes mm. um but yeah the the, the whole setting the, the the plot is interesting i i played it through all towards the, the end and the solving the mystery is it does go to some unexpected places and it's you know it's a satisfying conclusion it's not one of those ones where you play through it and sort of saw it coming all along or mm. you sort of felt like it was a bit lackluster it, it felt like without being uh without being you know a total emotional gut punch it felt satisfying okay that's good because um, i find i didn't finish it just because i I sort of bounced off the puzzle box elements a little bit. Mm. I feel like that's not the kind of gameplay that really appeals to me as much as I liked pretty much every other element of the game. Those were, and it also didn't help that I had a lot of other stuff to do. Mm. (laughs) So it was hard for me to dedicate time to this when those puzzle boxes were just 
throwing me off quite a bit. But as I was talking with you before, you mentioned that you sort of bounced off them for a little bit and then came back, everything clicked and it just just went from there. Yeah, I really cannot put it down to any one factor, but in my first play session of Tangle Tower, I got stuck on some of the, the early puzzles and I thought, geez, these puzzles are really hard. And I would say consistently throughout the puzzles are you know, pretty pretty challenging. Mm. Some of them, you know, may appeal to different people's different senses of logic and that sort of stuff in different ways. But I found them really challenging to start off with. But then when I sat down for my second playthrough or my second play session rather, mm. that yeah, something intangible just clicked and all of a sudden, you know, I felt like a genius. I was getting all <laughs> these puzzles that I was so stuck on previously and the rest of the game just opened up because I think perhaps the all of the puzzles operate on a a similar, you know, not not same enough that if you solve one you've solved the rest, mm. but on a similar enough sort of, you know, chain of logic mm. that if you get your mind thinking in a certain way, then you you're well equipped to then combat the rest of the puzzles. So I I I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not one to sort of obsess over, you know, puzzle box games. Um mm. As you mentioned, um, you know, previously, I'm not one who's played a lot of the Professor Layton games, but yeah, they, they felt challenging and, and satisfying, and sometimes a bit bit frustrating. Uh, but you do up to three times when you fail a puzzle, uh, you'll get sort of hints from uh, Sally, who will mm. give you sort of more, or, or Grimoire, uh, who will give you sort of more specific hints. Uh, and sometimes even when you get that third and final hint, it's still a bit vague, but yeah. you know, they don't want to sort of give it away. But perhaps- It's a tightrope to walk. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to give it away, but you don't want people to sit there frustrated and put down the game. So, yeah. yeah. But perhaps, you know, that may be a barrier for some people actually seeing the story through at the end, which would be a shame. But again, you know, this SFB games have made this, you know, to be a, a you know, a sort of mentally stimulating and challenging sort of game. So, mm. you know, it's you know, cool that, you know, that's that's where they want to go with things. But yeah. I did, did want to mention one interesting observation I made about the game that I think, uh, and I think you're a fellow Twin, Fe- Twin Peaks fan. Uh, would that be accurate? I haven't seen The Return yet, but otherwise, yes. Yes, yeah. I I saw some parallels in the, the story, uh, or at least... Throughout the um, throughout the story with some of the characters mm-hmm. with uh, with Twin Peaks in terms of uh, in Twin Peaks you've got Laura Palmer who ever, you, the the first you see of her is you know she's she's been murdered so mm. you you're slowly unraveling the mystery about this this tortured woman um, this tortured young woman who uh, you know, well, to, to say too much would be spoiling sort of things but. You know, was a person, you know, once upon a time, but then think something changed and she became a very different person. And there's themes of that throughout Tangle Tower as well, which I found, mm. which I found rather interesting because the, the victim here, there's a lot of allusions to her changing dramatically once she hit a particular age to sort of, she was carefree, she was creative and vibrant, and then something changed and things got quite dark so interesting. i found 
Yeah, I found some interesting parallels to Twin Peaks there, and okay. while there's nothing about the, uh, the the lodge here or anything in Tangled Tower, it doesn't mm. it doesn't just straight up copy Twin Peaks. But I just I just found it an interesting parallel to to make there, hmm. potentially thematically inspired, or maybe I don't know, not nece- not everything that has similar ideals or ideas is necessarily inspired. But it sounds you know similar enough that if you found that intriguing, you might find this intriguing. It might set off similar receptors in your brain. Mm, I think the only thing that would have made it absolutely perfect is if they found a way to put uh, Kyle McLaughlin somewhere in. <laughs> well, he improves everything he's in, let's be honest. He, do, he, he does. He is absolutely fabulous. Well, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's the last I've got to say on uh, Tangle Tower, unless you had any closing remarks. No, no. I would say... Actually, the, the thing I would say is Tangle Tower, I believe, is the best Apple Arcade experience I've had so far. Gosh, I'm going to have to have some thinking about that. Clearly, clearly it wasn't for me, but gosh, I don't know what is yet. We'll have to, I don't know, maybe do a special episode sometime and just have our best of the first six months or something like that. Who knows? Keep listening. We'll we'll work it out. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very keen to talk about our games that we've got coming up for next week, though. Or not next week, next episode. Um, yeah. yeah. Did you uh, have any that you were particularly fond of uh, giving a try next time? Yeah, well, we chatted about this earlier, and for the next episode, we've decided that with, with our respective uh, schedules, that we'll, we'll peel things back to two games for the meantime, but also, I think, because there's a couple of potential time sinks coming up with these games. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so one being a little town builder uh, of sorts called Outlanders by Pomelo Games, and another one which is described as Wizards with Wi-Fi, which is intriguing and very open to many different interpretations. Yeah, and I know very little about it, aside from that tagline and just some general positivity I saw on Twitter as it came out. So, yeah, keen to, to dig in and find out what that positivity was actually all about. Which is about a game called Guildlings by Servo Studios. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck into those. Indeed. And uh, yeah, so thank you once again for joining us on the Mobile Arcade Club and we will join you next time. See you later. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mobile Arcade Club. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on your platform of choice or sharing the podcast with your friends. Also, you can follow Mobile Arcade Club on Twitter at MArcadeClub, where we'll keep you updated on what we're up to. Make sure to play along and send us your thoughts, questions and feedback. See you next episode.